Welcome to Upholding Matters, a podcast devoted to talking about what matters. Now, I was raised to believe that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness were things that mattered. And certainly they are the unalienable rights that Jefferson wrote about in the Declaration of Independence. We will talk about how to uphold them, how they hold us up, and why that matters. Welcome to Upholding Matters. I'm your host, David Paul. Have you ever wondered, have you ever noticed that, and I think it was John Lennon who said that life is what happens when you're making other plans. And that's, well, let's put it this way. This show is about keeping our life liberty and our ability to pursue happiness. Uh, these are the great rights that Americans have as unalienable. But this week I relearned a lesson that I've learned many times before. You can make plans and then things happen, and you just make the best of it. And as it turns out, sometimes those things can be better than they were going to be before, despite a period of adjustment or at least mental adjustment to what's the best path to pursue. So this week was a little bit like that. I got a chance to, uh, you know, and I, I look forward to this. This year would be my fourth consecutive year to get to, get to close out the Lancaster City Council meetings for Christmas and the last meeting of the year. And I take that responsibility seriously. I like to deliver a, an uplifting message that is from my heart about what it means to be able to pursue civic fun, civic responsibility in my own hometown. That wasn't always the same for me in life. There was a time when I just went along. You know, I mean, I would show up at the 4th of July party, the Veterans Day, the Memorial Day. i take the day off of work and I'd recreate in a way that was sort of a free thing, feel free about my day off. But I never, in the early days, attached a lot of significance to what those days meant or how to properly participate in them. I get to go to our local cemetery this weekend and lay wreaths on the, um, you know, you prop them up and tie them up so they're not laid, but wreaths across America puts wreaths on all the veterans' graves in our local cemetery, and my family loves to participate in that, get out there and doll up that cemetery and remember our war dead. And of course, they're not all died in the war. A lot of people came home. We have a lot of pilots and aviators. You know, a lot of them are women. And uh, so the valley is chocked full of old veterans that live on and remind us of what those hard times were. And it's just a pleasure to get to meet them at these ceremonies, uh, the Veterans Day, Memorial Day, 
That's what I love about it. And I can't, for the life of me, figure out why I didn't enjoy that earlier in my life. It was there for me. I guess, well, there's a lot of reasons, but it's fun to have found it now. So in the week that was, I had the council meeting, and I've been going to these meetings for almost 20 years and speaking and developing my understanding of what's actually going on and how to present in public. And so it's been a long time coming. And I have it to the point where now, you know, in the early days, I used to write a lot of stuff down and then get up to the lectern and circumstances would have changed it into something completely different. And what I wrote would just be no good. And what I mean by that is just no longer fitting for the situation. And such was it this meeting where I took the time and I wrote stuff out to be thoughtful and give a good show and say nice things. And the meeting kind of took some turns. And But I do have some nice things, and I think I'll read them into the record here because what the heck, you should enjoy it. And they're patriotic local sentiments that, you know, there were relationships that exist, and those are the things that really help. So I promise... In the second half, we'll get to what's going on with Donald Trump and our country. And maybe there'll be a third half. I only say that because my friend Jason Cottle just got promoted to the city manager job. My friend Mark Bozigian, who had that job as long as I've been coming to meetings or in some capacity with the city, left to pursue other things. And so now Jason... I was telling him about reseeding my lawn on an election night or something. And I told him we had divided the yard into quadrants, and it wound up as six quadrants, and he corrected me. So that that's a shout-out to him. You know, I operate, I guess, under the procedure of it sounds cool, it's okay. You know, it doesn't hurt to be goofy or less than totally precise. It can make more fun, and you get to find out if people are paying attention. So what did happen? Well, first of all, there was uh, an uproar over the fact that the city is trying to supplement its police powers or force because we have a contract with the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. And the amount of people we're supposed to have, and the captain explains this, the sheriff's captain, you know, it's ours that we are supposed to get or buy from the department, not bodies or people. So when they say we're 20-some officers down, it, it you know, they cover it with overtime. The work isn't going undone, except that people are worn out. But So the action item on the agenda was to hire a consultant to plan how they could implement and have their own chief of police and police force to supplement the um, the sheriff's deputies that are currently and for the last forever handling the police work in our city. So all over in it, the mayor, Rex Paris, changed it to, he would just appoint our director of public safety, Lee Dorico, a retired 
L.A. County narcotics detective to the job of chief without any real public input. And, you know, my thing was that this puts a bad light on our current deputies, and I don't want a morale problem. So I wanted this gone about thoughtfully, and there wasn't a lot of thought because it didn't even come up. And then our mayor and the sheriff's captain got into it. He's at the meeting, the captain, and a little bit about how the new sheriff, we had an election last, whenever it was, and there was a new sheriff along with the blue wave, and uh, he told all his officers to take their bars off, their captains and lieutenants insignias, and just fall in and we'll see who will be assigned where. I guess that's like the new president, the prerogative of the new sheriff. So it was a little contentious, but, well, I did get to see the captain today at a breakfast with the deputies or coffee. Crazy Otto's hosts a free coffee for people that'll come and talk to the cops to humanize them and get to know them as people instead of you know, whatever, cops. And that went pretty well. Our Captain Todd Weber is a real approachable, down-to-earth guy that wants to do a great job and listen. And again, my main thing was, you know, I don't want any lack of morale. They're doing as good a job they can. And the community's come a long way to join together and have unity and a Justice Department decree and the Sheriff's Department. You know, we've talked about that. So we're working it out, and I don't want that messed up with problems like that. And by that, I mean a lack of appreciation for what's going on now. The other thing that was a little contentious was activists came to advocate for the homeless and you know we're trying to build this nice place where people can go and the county's trying to have shelters but there's a lot of people out in the desert in tents in the rain and the cold some of them are old some of them are sick and a lot of them are going to die out there in the winter if we can't find a warm bed to put them in at night so there's so much going on and I had written these things, and people are coming and talking about how hard their lives are. And mine was more or less a glowing review of the city, or at least the best parts. I like the good stuff. There's a lot of bad. It's there. I know it. We don't have to dwell on it. We have to try and fix it. So I think what I'll do is, at the beginning of the next segment, I'll just read it, and then... We can have three halves, or I can throw it into the part that deals with Donald Trump. Okay, we're back. And today was a, well, it was an interesting day. Let's say that we found out a little bit more um, about the Michael Flynn business, Donald Trump's 
national intelligence director, the first guy, you know, he was the locker-up chant leader, and now he's going to get locked up. And it seemed like he had significant cooperation. And now, with everything this week, and I got to tell you, I was preoccupied some of the week, at the beginning especially, trying to write up a nice close for our city council meeting. But some of these things just drip, drip, dripped. And then there's the, well, the little connections that let the people that are the experts that I love to watch fill it in a little bit. For instance, the red-haired Russian girl, woman Maria Butina, she was convicted or pleaded guilty in sentence in court for um, influence, not espionage, but just running an influence operation. And if you look at it, and you listen to Malcolm Nash and some of these other guys that know what they're talking about, Mud, this is the tell of a Russian influence operation. And they have all these things going on in the hopes that they'll snare somebody in. And because of Donald Trump's interest in their history and perhaps even his political ability, you know, back in the 2015, after some history of money laundering and uh, a lot of things I hope that'll come out in this investigation, they started thinking about him differently as perhaps the ultimate Manchurian candidate that they could use and influence. And, well, look what's happened. Look what has happened. We have had NATO severely weakened. It's, um, these alliances are important. And, for instance, uh, Sir Donald goes to North Korea and buys Kim Jong-un's crazy diversion technique and you know, the one they've used on us many times before that we have really learned better of, except for those who've never seen it before or don't know what they're doing. And this was Bob Woodward. He was on a show. And I like it. When he's on, he's selling his book. I think he's been used for expert analysis. But now he's, you know, trying to promote his book, Fear. And one of the things that he talked about was how, you know, they hide things on Trump's desk or take it away from him. He wanted to, um, Trump wanted to do something with the uh, South Korean trade deal. He didn't like it. He was going to tear it up and send a letter and they wouldn't let him see all the stuff about it so that there wasn't severe repercussions that went even beyond trade. Can you imagine if there was a unified Korea and somehow Kim Jong-un took it all over and had the industrialized South and continued to make his nuclear weapons and missiles that can reach the United States? I mean, this is crazy stuff, and it was at a peak frenzy, you know, last year. And now it's died down a little bit, but there are uh, constant reminders of the nagging disrespect we receive as he continues to 
dupe us. I mean, he's not actually duping us, but just Trump. And so while our intelligence people know what he's doing, it's like the Saudi Arabian thing or Russia, Trump just won't listen. So with all these special counsel filings and the Southern District of New York, the federal court filings against Manafort and Flynn and Cohen, there's pretty much lock solid evidence that Donald Trump is behind many of these conspiracies and the election fraud and all sorts of other stuff that I hope will come out. But one today that was pretty embarrassing. These are inquiries into the Trump inauguration. There's been a, for a while talk about you know, investigations in the Southern District into the Trump Foundation. And today, there's word about what's going on with the inauguration. You remember that? That was um, one thing that, well, by that time, I wasn't surprised by anything Trump would say. But confronted with the photographic evidence of the crowd size of Obama's inauguration and his... He still had the gall to stand there and say he had the largest inauguration crowd ever. And, you know, when you can see the lie, as he says it, in picture form right in front of it, and that's not enough to convince people, you have to wonder, what are we dealing with? I mean, my goodness, upholding matters is about protecting our constitutional republic, our democratic form of government that is the envy of the world and is now under siege, as I see it, from a guy who, I mean, this is about the only thing I don't, can't figure out about Trump. Is he just trying to destroy all the old systems and checks and traditions by which we live and govern and help the world, or is he just nuts? He is either the most dangerous double agent of all times or the most incompetent president that we've ever had. And my God, what if he's both? And you might say, okay, well, that's a little severe. It might be. You know, the center is held as I screamed recently on a podcast, and I was happy about that. It seems like due process and checks and balances are holding back. But, you know, it's still, the the effect is happening. And it's not only our status in the world, but it's what people think, what people think about their country. If they can believe that there is hope, that there is something that we'll get us right again and assume our spot in the world and be the light of the world as we've always been, or, you know, a hundred years worth. Still, the world needs us. The world needs democracy. And it needs people to have a choice in self-governance. Now, so, some of these stories that I've seen lately 
in Florida in lame duck sessions. They're trying to do maneuvers, procedural things that roll back the vote. Um, they gave two-thirds majority or something. Ex-felons get to have their voting rights return and be able to vote again, having paid their debt. So it would seem apparent they're just circumventing the will of the voters for what they want to do in lame duck. In Michigan, the governor is trying to weaken the minimum wage laws that were voted on and, you know, push back when they would go into effect by more than a decade. So, well, and then I saw a piece on the news when the, um, just tonight it's announced that the federal court somewhere ruled that Obamacare was unconstitutional. So it'll go back to the Supreme Court. But the piece showed all these politicians, governors and senators and people running for office saying that they will absolutely keep pre-existing conditions. That's what they ran on, Republicans. And some of these men are in the lawsuit from states that, you know, they brought this suit to this court. So on the one hand, they're saying they're going to protect pre-existing conditions. And on the other, they're trying to ruin Obamacare altogether, which will just take that protection away. And they just want to say, no, they're not the same thing. Or whatever wool they try and pull over you, it's just, it's shameful. And I want to feel happy. I want to feel powerful. I want to feel empowered and patriotic and purposeful in this great nation that we're trying to just improve and make a better model for the world continuously into the future. And I'll close by reading what I was going to say at council. I was going to talk about the fact that the world is really a crazy place. And I just wanted to talk about truth. So, and in the audience, there were many homeless people and advocates and their life isn't really in their hands. And some of these things I had to change a little bit, but I'll just, I'll just read it. According to several quoted sources I can find, every great truth has an opposite great truth that is equally true. Now, this is not to be confused with the fact that a correct statement has as its opposite a statement that is not true. There is such a thing as a lie. Yet, a great truth, as can be studied in the histories of philosophy and psychology through time, can come down to what they now call perspectivism. Calling it perspectivism leaves that little bit of wiggle room for the unconvinced about the new dual nature of truth. And I think this perspectivism is the only way to explain how life can both suck so bad sometimes and actually be so wonderful all the time. Wonderful, that is, if you're coming at it right. Now, William James said, the greatest weapon we have to combat stress is the ability to choose our thoughts. And I use William James around Christmas. You should look him up and get his inspirational quotes. 
And then I tried to tie some patriotism and civics to George H.W. Bush because I said there's a lot of coverage about the life of George H.W. Bush recently. And I took away a couple of gems. First was from a clip of him walking with Margaret Thatcher saying, only with friends can you take off the gloves and work things out. Now, they had a rocky relationship, to say the least. But I tried to have you probe and look into that. So then I went on and I said that one of the great things about this city is the friendship and inclusion you all offer for someone who comes at the process right. And then someone said in defense of H.W.'s legacy, it is easier to defend democracy than to participate in it. And here we all are together in the truest dual sense, defending democracy as we participate in it. And that is what I love so much about it all. In particular, what I love so much about our city. Friendship, respect, and common decency are the way you do business. And all those things make me glad to live in this city. We accomplish here what is supposed to happen all over our country. We achieve e pluribus unum out of one many. Thank you for letting this one help make us many. Unity is perhaps the greatest and most comforting gift we can give each other. This city makes it happen every day. And I thank you from my truest heart, hoping you know how much I love this process. The truth is, this is a great city. Merry Christmas. Mm-hmm.